Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord. We ask your blessing upon your word, and we just pray, Lord, that you would, uh, just all these things that um, we'll lift up at the end, but ultimately, Lord, um, each one of us can have a list that doubles and triples what Bo just shared, just the hurt, the pain, the sickness, the disease, uh, the uncertainty, the not even wanting to go on and live, Lord. We just see... Um, the hopelessness that sin has brought to this world and uh, not necessarily a person's sin, but sin that has entered into the world and just the death and destruction and chaos and confusion. But Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can come to you. And so Father, as we have this time in your word, we just pray that you would speak to us and that we would just um, get a piece, uh, a little bit of understanding of your heart for us, Lord, as we lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said. Amen. All right, so we're going through the greatest stories ever told. We're on number 11. We've been going through uh, just a series. I've been going back and forth, Old Testament, sometimes New Testament. Uh, today we touch on the unconditional love of God. Uh, another title could be, How Has God Demonstrated His Love for You? And yet another title can be, What Does It Mean God Loves You? This comes out of Sunday... Um, we were in First, Second, Tim, uh, Second Corinthians, chapter four, looking at the fact that the previous chapter had mentioned that we were living epistles, and so we're the only Bibles that some people will read. And then this chapter on Sunday dealt with the fact that we have a message to proclaim, and that message isn't ours. And so, in that idea of communicating, what are we communicating? And I went back and listened to the message. Um, at least the beginning, because we read through the chapter and then there was an intro. And the intro specifically said, what is your life communicating in the sense, not that you have a life that's perfect, that you have all the answers, that you have it all figured out, but in the reality of your life, are you communicating this God that loves you and accepts you and that is pleased with you and that has made you righteous and that has thought about you before the foundations of the world. And so that's very important because when I was talking to a brother, um, just this whole idea, because I went home Sunday after praying for, for Mark and I was just struggling, Lord, as much as we communicate the idea of being um, exhortive in our messages, and that's what we're supposed to do when we teach the Bible. But the foundation of that has to be the love of God. The foundation of that has to be you understand that God loves you. That he loves you unconditionally. That, that he's pleased with you. That there's nothing you have to do for God to love you anymore. There's, there's nothing that you can do so bad to make God love you less. And so I remember going up to the Bible Wherever I learned the, the, the book that we went through up in Indio, Palm Springs area, what was it called? The, what was that book called? Self-confrontation. But what is that? What are they called? Biblical something foundation. That self-confrontation book. So I go up there and their whole thing is the Bible is exhortive. The Bible is exhortive. The Bible teaches us to teach people 
you know, get off your fanny perpendicular and get busy for the kingdom because this life is investment for eternity. And so I, that's one of my high gifts of exhortation. I'm constantly just throwing out where I contrast my teaching style to somebody like Brian. And Brian just always, somehow, man, when I sit under Brian's teaching, I'm just like, God, Jesus loves me so much. And I love that. And I I lose sight of that sometimes because I, I want to exhort. But if we don't understand that God loves us, and if we lose sight of that, we got to be reminded. So turn to John chapter 3. We're going to look at three sections of Scripture. The unconditional love of God. How has God demonstrated His love for you? What does it mean God loves you? John chapter 3. We know that the Gospel of John chapter 3 opens up with Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus. He's a Pharisee, a religious leader. Comes to Jesus by night. And he asks him, or he doesn't even ask him, he tells him, Lord, we know that God is with you, for no one can do these things that you're doing. And Jesus, almost like, I don't know if he's listening to him, or he knows what's in his heart, or he just cuts to the chase. Nicodemus, you got to be born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Does he enter into a second time into his mother's womb? Are you the teacher of Israel? The teacher. And you don't know these things? And then he begins to exhort him. And so out of that communication, let's pick it up where he talks about uh, Moses. Verse 14. So Jesus is talking to him. And in verse 14, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever, operative word in John chapter 3, believes. That whoever believes. That's our part. That's our only part. That's the only thing we get to do. That's the only thing we're responsible to do. And it's not even responsible. It's a response. It's not, it's not even like, okay, sucker, if you believe then, no, 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 no. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord. I'm just responding. I'm just, how can I not? I just want to believe, Lord. Trust in, adhere to, cling to, rely upon. I just want to believe. Okay, so notice that word right there. Right, that whoever believes in him uh, should not perish, verse 15, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. What's our part? That's it. What should we do to do the works of God? Jesus narrows it down to singular. The work of God is that you believe in him who he has sent. Jump over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. So that's our part. Okay, and God doesn't let us off the hook to just everybody goes to heaven automatically. Okay, 
You do have to believe. You have to trust in the, the finished work of the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. You have to bring that into your life, okay? So how that works and how that, I don't know, how that equation uh, you know, adds up and sums up and divides up and all of that, I don't know. It's, it's a supernatural thing. And he's talking to Nicodemus to let him know this is a spiritual thing, this new birth thing. Uh, the wind blows where it will, and you, you don't know where it comes from, but you, you see an effect. And so it is for us. The Holy Spirit comes, and it's like, whoa, what's that? Holy Spirit is inside of me. That's pretty cool. My eyes are open now. I don't really know, well, did you believe 12% or did you believe 15%? I don't know. I don't know how it happened. It was just a supernatural thing. Well, you, unless you believe 99%. Yeah, I don't ugh. It's a supernatural thing. So what the formula is and how we put it on, it probably can't add it up on paper, huh? But it's a supernatural work from behind the scenes and God is doing it. Okay? So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 are the greeting. Paul is simply saying that he came and he gives them his, uh, you know, Siamese twins of greetings, right? Grace and truth. But notice now, starting at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Where are these blessings that are flowing to us? Every spiritual blessing, mind you, that's coming from God the Father through through the Son. They're found in Christ. Everybody see that? In Christ. Because we're going to see that over and over. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame where's our holiness and our blamelessness coming from it's not coming from your actions it's not coming from your mindset it's not coming from what you do or don't do it's not coming from how much you do it's not coming from how much you pray how much you fast how much you tithe how much you speak right do right it's in him You are blameless if you are found in him. Nobody can throw anything at you because you're in him. It goes on, verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of whose will? His will. Verse 6, to the praise of of the glory of whose grace? His grace, by which who he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. It comes through his blood, his blood that was shed on the cross, his blood that was shed on the cross for you. If you are the only one that would have received that sacrifice, he'd have done it. He'd have did everything he did if it was just you and him. It was for the world, right? Um, first John chapter two, verse one It's for the world, but only those who receive it, get it in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of whose grace, his grace, which he made to abound toward us all in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure at which he purposed everybody see that in himself 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. And then it says it again, in him. Also we have obtained an inheritance according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Likewise, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom having also believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Um, that first section there that he goes through, by the way, is just one long sentence. It's, 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 uh, it's just commas. It's not periods. It's not, you know, he's just, it's one thought. And it's what we have in Christ, what we've been given. And when he thought about it before the foundations of the world. And it's interesting because the first part talks about the father. Then there's a little interlude. And the second part talks about the son. And then this last part here, 13 through uh, 14, it talks about the Holy Spirit and the seal that we've received. And then... He gives us a therefore in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love and for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what's our part? Believe. Believe. What's his part? Everything else. Everything else. And so we have to have this foundational understanding of our riches in Christ, of what we have access to in Christ. And I think a lot of times we do struggle with the fact that we're not uh, a finished product. Anybody here think that in this life they're going to be a finished product? No. Okay. But he'll finish it someday. Not until you go home to be with God, right? He'll, good work in he'll be faithful to complete it. And who's, who's on the hook for being faithful to complete it? He is. The Bible says in Timothy that when you are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. Faithful because he cannot what? Deny himself. He can't deny himself. He can't go against his nature. And we look at Peter, and Peter denied the Lord right three times. And, oh my gosh, ah, he deserves hell. Then we all deserve hell. He restored him and three times asking him. Jump over to Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Yeah. Romans is probably one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. But Romans 8. And the reason I picked Romans 8, because I think it ties in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Were we in chapter 4 or chapter 5? Chapter 4 last week, right? Oh, yeah. Sunday. Five this week coming up. Yeah. But remember how he talked about all of that struggle that he had, all that suffering, and, and yet he said they were light and momentary right. <laughs> affliction. Right. Like, dang, Paul, that's light and momentary, bro. I don't know. Mine must be nothing 
Because he went through some heavy, heavy stuff, right? And so I think this chapter ties it up really, really good. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. And I think when you go through difficulties, this is one of those verses that just screams at you. It just speaks to you. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. What does that mean? For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It means we're imperfect right now. We're groaning. We're hurting. We struggle. Our brother Ron is horizontal. Right? Because he got sick. And this body is constantly, constantly just reminding us Things aren't perfect. Whether they're physical, emotional, whatever that is, it's just they're not perfect. And so there's something of sin that is just letting us know there's an expectation. There's something better. There's something future. C.S. Lewis said it. He said, if in this world I find that there is something lacking, it must mean I was created for another world. If I'm let down in this world, if it just didn't get it, you know, something's missing, something's lacking. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying that there's not wonderful things to experience and to appreciate and to enjoy. I like Brian's little bracelet. It's a reminder to be grateful for things in life. And when you forget and start to complain, you put it on the other. I thought you pull it real hard and snap it. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's like shock therapy. Stop complaining. Verse uh, 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So God allowed us to go through what we're going through because he saw something better, because he knew that eternity would be what eternity was meant to be, that heaven would be what heaven was meant to be, that when we're in its presence, it's going to be everything that we, oh, Lord, Oh, Lord, this is a good idea you came up with. I mean, nobody's going to be not blown away in heaven. It's just going to be like bigger, better, you know, farther, deeper. Just it's going to be every above and beyond what we can think or imagine. You can't even put it on a piece of paper because there's nothing in the temporal realm to compare it to. Even your relationship with God is tainted because you're a sinner, you stinking sinner. And you're, you're, you're bound in this time and space continuum. And so in that hope, he said, yeah, it's going to be tough. My kids are going to go through some difficulties, but boy, is it going to be worth it. There's a hope that he had in his mind, subjected it in hope. Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Isn't that just awesome to fathom? Yes. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The whole creation. Watching just something like, like a little bit of rain. And all of a sudden everything is breaking. Potholes. What are they? Potholes are turning into stinking sinkholes. 
and cars are like dipping into them. It's like, what's going on with the world? Yeah, we had a couple sprinkles, a couple sprinkles. Ain't 40 days and 40 nights, I'll tell you that. Yeah, three days straight of rain in some of these parts where it's just, it's crazy, right? Because some of the mountains, they had fires, and then when my mountains have fire, they lose all their, all their shrubbage. What's that called? The foliage? All their trees and bushes and stuff that holds back the mud. But no, when it's all burnt, it's just waiting to just come down. And so the whole creation is in this upheaval. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation, verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. His body's corrupt. The older I get, the more I know. The old gray marriages ain't what she used to be. <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy. I had a doubleheader this, uh, this Saturday. I play with Calvary Chapel Montebello. We play softball. I call it uh, old fat men baseball, you know. So it's fun. It's fun. We go out there and just wobble around the bases. And um, so I started at one position because we were down a guy and this other kid, stinking whippersnappers, he's at third and man, they hit this shot. And it was to his left, glove hand, and I'm like, man, that's getting by him. When he gets it, comes up, makes a throw. And then, and then so we get our another guy. So I go take over at third and I, a ball's dribbling and I watch it go by and I'm like, dang, that guy would have been so much better in this spot. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just travailing and groaning here, the creation. The body's waiting to be redeemed. And I just realized, man, and, and that is in the physical, right? There's an imperfection in the physical. But what if there's an imperfection in the emotional? What if there's an imperfection in um, even the chemical? What if there's an imperfection in whatever there's an imperfection? Why do we elevate one above another? We can laugh at one, but the other one's like, oh, that was kind of serious. We can't talk about it because you're not supposed to be like that. You're not supposed to be sinful it's all sin it's all a result of sin the big s that came into the world in genesis chapter three serpent comes into the garden right and so i think we need to be careful because we have this idea that things are supposed to look a certain way sin corrupts and it it taints and it messes stuff up and yet god had this hope I love what Pastor Chuck Smith said about hope. For hope to be true in your life, two things need to be necessary. You need to expect it, and you need to desire it. If you don't have the desire and the expectation for you, you're hopeless. Expect it and desire it. And then he gave an example. He said, when we did something wrong and dad was coming home and mom said, wait till your dad gets home, we expected it, but we didn't desire it. It wasn't a hope. We weren't hoping dad was going to come home. He goes, but when we did our chores and dad said, we're going to get ice cream Saturday because you guys did all your chores. We were expecting it and we desired it. We were hopeful. There was a hope. And so in that, I mean, we have to take that into consideration that the world's not the way it should be. And God's on the hook for all of that stuff we read about 
And we're simply on the hook to believe, to take him at his word, to trust him, to uh, adhere. What trust in, adhere to, cling to, rely upon? Definition of belief. Okay? And so even though it's a struggle, even though it's difficult, even though mm, I'm not always sure, Lord, I'm just going to try. I'm going to take you at your word, Lord. You said that I'm righteous. I don't feel righteous. You said that I'm blameless. Lord, I can blame myself for a lot of stuff, but you said, you declared me blameless. Either you're a liar or I'm a liar. I don't think God's a liar. But you said, God, that I'm without blame. Your word tells me that. Verse 24, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for, uh, for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, many have used that scripture to say that's how we can pray in tongues. And uh, I, I guess you can probably apply it that way. But I, I think it's literal groanings. <clears throat> oh, Lord. I don't even have words. Just groanings, literal groanings. 27. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And then this is the good that it works out. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many believers. I've noticed in my life, and I throw this out there because I think it's important, if he's conforming us into the image of his son, I think sometimes we want to be the counselor of God and tell him what he should be working on. But God says, I think I got, I think I got this figured out. I really do. I, I think I know way better and way more than you'll ever know. And I know what I'm working on in your life right now. And if it's nothing but showing you grace and mercy, can you receive it, son or daughter? Can you accept that? It took, and I've mentioned this before, but it took years to God begin to unravel the pride that was in my heart. And I think personally, I probably just wasn't ready for it. Had he done it earlier, it may have just blown me out of the water like a shotgun trying to shoot a little dove or something, you know? I think I got it. Yeah, I, I saw two feathers go by, but I, yeah, it's disintegrated. It's done, toast. Kiss it goodbye. We're not having pigeon for dinner tonight, just saying, right? I think he would have blown me away. But I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, how could people even put up such an arrogant, prideful, stubborn person for so many years? And not to say that that's, I'm free of that, guys. Not to say it's all there. It's all in there. And every once in a while, the Lord will let me see it. And I'm like, Oh, Lord, yeah, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lord, I want grace. I need grace. And it, I kid you not, I'm thinking 25 years of my walk with God went by before he began to unravel like an onion, just layer upon layer. He began to show me little by little. Boom, look what's in your heart. Boom, son, look what's in your heart. 
boom. I remember sitting in Sacramento on a bed in a hotel room, hands behind my back, just one of those moments where God was unraveling and just showing me stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm having a talk with God and I said, man, God, you got your work cut out in me, don't you? And God whispered back, yeah, but I'm up for the challenge. I got this. And again, in his perfect way, in his perfect timing, he knows what to do and he knows when to do it. And so I think we need to be careful because the good that he's working out is to conform us into the image of his son and I think he knows what he's doing. He knows what we need, when we need it and it just simply may be lessons of mercy, 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 mercy. I'm constantly not giving you what you deserve, kid. I'm constantly not giving you what you deserve. I'm constantly not giving you what you deserve. Lord, why are you so good? Stop. Just thank me already, Lord. No. I'll be merciful. This is a season of mercy. Or it could be grace. Unmerited favor. You're getting all this stuff. You're just getting all these blessings, all this. And you're like, Lord, why are you so good to me? I just stole a card. You're like, just blessing me. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace upon grace. We have to let God be God. He knows that scripture in Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God's on the hook for that. God's on the hook for that. And I tell people all the time, he's not going to ruin his reputation on you. He's not going to ruin his reputation on me. He knows the beginning from the end, and he knows what he's doing. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Um, All notice, E.D., past tense. He's already predestined you, called you, justified you, and glorified you. They're all past tense. You're glorified. Isn't that crazy? Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Oy vey, I, I guess that's the only thing to say. <laughs> Written by a Jew, oy vey. <laughs> if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? What? Jesus is praying for me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors, super conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created things. By the way, you are included in the any other created thing. There is nothing, nothing, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not even you. You filthy varmint. Isn't that what he says in in, in Home Alone? Something like that, right? You filthy varmint. So the title, the unconditional love of God, has God demonstrated his love for you? How has God demonstrated his love for you? 
What does it mean God loves you? It's some incredible news. Like the gospel in a nutshell is just the greatest news. It's what I have always said. It's too good be, to be true, but it is. It's too good to be true, but it is. And the world, they know nothing of this. They know nothing of this. The world thinks it's, they just got it wrong. They just got it wrong. Way, 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 way wrong. This level of love, this type of love, this type of acceptance, this type of security, this type of, of hope, this type of joy, this type of peace, this type of, they just don't even know like how good God is and how much for us he is. They just don't know how good it really is. And I think sometimes we forget. I think sometimes we lose sight of it. And again, I'm, I'm just one of those teachers that is just exhortation, 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 exhortation. And sometimes I forget to remind myself when I hear this, it breaks me. It, just, it breaks me. It, it reduces me to tears. I'm just, I just, I'm like, Lord, is it, Lord? Or is this really true? Like, no, Lord, this can't be true because nothing in the world compares to this. Everything is merit-based. Everything is, you know, tick for tack. Everything is, goes around, comes around. Everything, everything we've seen, everything we've experienced. And then you get in touch with this creator of the universe and you experience this goodness. You, you don't just get to read about it, but this is real. This isn't just some academic exercise where we're just, ah, oh, good, good book. Uh, next week we'll be reading uh, Silence of the Lambs and so we'll see what that one says. No, no, this is true. This is actually true. That's the God that we have come to know and the down payment is the Holy Spirit. Questions, comments, concerns. What are your thoughts on this great God and this good news? Just going over Ephesians like you did. <laughs> Just like he's done it all. You know? I couldn't believe it when I was reading it. I was sitting laying on my bed and I'm just reading it and I'm like, it's all, he did it all. Like, it's all in him. Such a great reminder, you know, just a refreshing and transforming the mind to just read that section. Mm. And just know that it's all in him. He's already done the work. You just have to believe. We love God because He first loved us. I think if if the devil's so good at distracting, I think if people realize how much God loved them, like the, like a bride responds to her husband because she feels safe and he loves her, I think if the world was not so distracted by the devil, if they knew how much God loved them, I think that they would respond to the love of Christ. I think I just believe that with all my heart. Well, 2 Corinthians 4, we, we learned it, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And John 3, 9, 3, 17 gave it to us. This is the condemnation. Men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And so there's, there's a lot of things that are at work. It's a spiritual thing, 
But there's a lot of things in that deception that are at work. And I think I said it two weeks ago. We don't like to be told what to do. And to acknowledge God means he tells me what to do. Can't be two gods on the throne of my heart. Because that's idolatry. But we're responders. Yeah, yeah. We're responders. We just... And I think first we got to sit in it. I think we got to just sit and bask in that. What is it? What is it? I do think that the church at times tries to raise people up too quickly towards ministry as if God needed them in ministry. I think ministry has to be a response. And for me, it has been the secret to not burning out. I'm responding to God. I'm not, I don't have to, I get to. And I think if we maintain that, get to instead of a got to I think it's a much better recipe for burning out in the ministry because a lot of people do burn out because the need is so great but we think that the weight of the world is on our shoulders <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth God acquiesces to use us he stoops down to a very low level we mess it up and he just picks it cleans it up after us I